about to shift gears in this letter, and he's about to get, like, get into it. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, uh, to me at least, because I, also, I just tend to forget, like, this is a letter, you know, and he wrote it at different stages, you know, and so, um, Paul, sometimes his letters, they're not really, like, they don't really flow very well, you know, and it's because, like, he may write one section this day and then write a different one tomorrow. And if you and I were doing the same thing, I mean, it wouldn't even make sense necessarily all the time. And so um, the first two verses are kind of where he's been, and he shifts gears uh, with where he's going, and uh, it's, it's really good stuff. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, when I came to Troas... To preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. All right. So um, Paul uh, went to Corinth, take care of some stuff in person. Really bad, dramatic visit. Uh, he called it a painful visit. He goes back to Ephesus, sits down and writes them a letter, and uh, really just telling them the truth that they need to hear. He, he, it's described as a painful letter for him, uh, not only for them to read, but for him to write. So he's back in Ephesus. He sends this painful letter, uh, gives it to Titus, and sends him to Corinth to bring it, uh, probably. That's what, that's what everybody thinks. Um, sends him to bring the letter to Corinth and to try to work some stuff out. Um, so Titus is in Corinth, hopefully handling things. Uh, Paul is in Ephesus, wrapping things up, and they're going to meet in Troas. They're going to uh, meet up. And so um, Paul gets there, he wraps up in Ephesus, gets to Troas, and uh, Titus isn't there. And so it kind of waits for him or whatever. And uh, so dude just starts preaching. Like he wasn't like, I'm just going to kind of lay low because I've been really tired lately. Uh, been a real dramatic couple of months for me, so I'm just going to kind of go to Troas, kind of chill, you know, kind of whatever. Now he gets to Troas and he's like, well, I don't see Titus so... I'll just preach, because these people need to hear the gospel too. Um, and that, in and of itself, uh, could be where we go tonight, but we're not. Um, but just keep in mind that Paul, was he was so focused. He was not lazy. Um, he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And so he was like, well, right, instead of just killing time, uh, basically wasting time in Troas, I'm going to do something that's beneficial to uh, the kingdom of God, and I'm going to preach. So he starts preaching, and even though things were going well, um, that did not satisfy the anxiety that was building in him um, because he was so anxious about uh, hearing back from Titus about how things were in Corinth, uh, how his letter went over, if it was effective in bringing about repentance and change and everything. And so he's pretty much he's saying, you know, um, even, even though God opened doors for me and things were awesome and, and, and there was fruit from, our, you know, from ministry, um, it still didn't put... Re- Put me at ease about what's going on there, like so I so I left, and so he starts traveling the road that Titus is going to be traveling, just basically saying like, I'll just meet him on the path. Um, there were not a whole bunch of different ways to get places. I mean, he knew exactly where like where they're going to be passing through, 
So instead of waiting longer in Troas, he was like, I can't wait any longer. I'm just going to go. And he started walking, walking, and, uh, you know, whatever. So, so that's basically what all that, all that is saying. Um, keeping in mind that he is full of anxiety about what's going on, so much that he walked away from fruitful preaching and fruitful ministry um, because he really wanted, his heart was so burdened for Corinth. Now, now is when he, he shifts gears. And most, most uh, smart people think that, um, I mean, like, if you're smart, you think this. I mean, like, intelligent people who write books about these things uh, all agree that this next, these next couple of uh, chapters were written at a different point. And probably after a time of, of prayer and reflection and who knows what's going on, but all of a sudden he shifts into this. Verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Okay, now I want you to think about a couple of things as, as we go through this, just for a few minutes. Um, I want you to think about yourself and how you fit into this text. I want you to think about our church and how we fit into this text. I want you to think about um, Nabeen and Matilda and their family and how they fit into this text. Okay, we go a whole lot of other places. I want you to kind of be thinking about all those things at one time as we walk through it. Um, so look back at verse 14. Um, it talks about a triumphal procession. Uh, let me let me describe one to you, and then uh, that'll kind of help make sense a little bit. Uh, all right, think think Gladiator, okay, movie. Um, and remember, after they won the first battle, and there's all this dialogue uh, between uh, you know, uh, yeah, Maximus or whatever the name is, and uh, and the emperor, and then the other guy. Commodus is what we always called him because it said commode um, when we read it in school. Uh, anyway, um, so there's a, all this dialogue and about all the, you know, may all the glory go to Rome, you know, and um, Marcus Aurelius is like, no, the, the glory should go to Maximus and all this kind of stuff, whatever. Um, once, like those kind of battles, once they were won, uh, when they would get back to Rome, they would have this, this big, you know, parade type deal, and it was known as a triumphal procession. And the the general of the army, and the army would be would be like paraded through the streets, and it was like this big deal. So the whole city is there to celebrate this Roman victory. Um, so you had the general, you had the army, and then you have you had all of the the spoils of you know war, whoever they conquered, all the good stuff that they brought back, uh, gold and silver and cattle and whatever. Um, and then you had the captives. And so the triumphal procession involved all those things, um, like being paraded through the streets of Rome. Um, there was uh, incense that was burning. There were spices that were being burned. All these kind of fragrances just really filled the air because it was not only a political celebration and a military celebration, it was also a religious one. Um, and so they would be they would parade through the the streets of of Rome, and they would it would culminate in uh, the Temple of Jupiter where uh, there were sacrifices that were made and all this kind of stuff that happened there. So the, the whole event, it was, very, it was visual, but it was also, it, it, 
it was multi-sensory. There's all these smells, you know, and just really, like, that was like the smell of victory, literally. Um, and I think that that we kind of understand that a little bit, um, you know, because to me, LSU football smells like bourbon. Like when I smell bourbon, you know, in March or May, I don't think, hey, that smells like bourbon. I think, hey, that smells like every LSU football game I've ever been to in my whole entire life. Uh, in the springtime, whenever, whenever, whenever you smell uh, a, your first crawfish boil, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like the first time it like hits you, and you're like, oh, it's that time. Uh, that's Louisiana in the springtime for a lot of us. Um, there are all kinds of smells that we associate with things, and so these were these were fragrances and spices that were unique to a, pri- a triumphal procession uh, that would would happen. And so, um, so this imagery that he's using would have made sense to the a lot of sense to the readers. And so. You go back to 14, he says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Okay? So what, is, what, what does that mean, to be led in triumphal procession? Some, some think that he's um, basically associating himself with the, with the army, you know, the people in the army, that, that Jesus you know, is this triumphal you know, general, he's the victor, and um, we are a part of his army sharing in his, his glory and the glory of this procession and stuff. Um, some people think that, but most of the scholars think that that would be inconsistent with Paul's view of himself and his view of his life um, and all of his letters. As much as he talks about uh, suffering well and um, his suffering for the glory of Christ and, and everything, that, all the persecution that comes his way, um, most people think that he's not identifying with the army. He's identifying with the captives. That in Christ, God leads us in triumphal procession as ones he has captured. Now, some people think that's negative. Uh, obviously, Paul didn't think it was negative because he said, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession. So, what in the world does that mean? Okay, Paul looked at his life, okay, his preaching, his ministry, um, his suffering, everything about his life um, as, as God leading him through the world, boasting in his victory over Paul. Because that's what a general would do, is they would say, look at all the spoils and look at all this stuff. Look at the people that we have conquered. And the bigger the bigger the group of people, the more glory went to the to the general, right? More glory to Rome, the more glory to whatever. And so Paul sees his life as God literally leading him around, showing off the fact that God has conquered Paul. But more than that, he says, uh, there's it's in- inclusive. It says who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. It's not who always leads me, it's who leads us. So from Paul's perspective, our lives are, are lived, and, and God is literally flaunting us everywhere that we go. That He we're constantly being led through through our streets, through our lives, and God's constantly saying, Look at look at what I have done. Look who I have captured. First, it kind of it seems kind of dark. Then you start thinking about it. And you're like, okay, I, I I get that, you know. Um, 
See, the, the captives uh, at the end of the, of the procession, um, one, of, one of two things could happen. They were, were either killed or they were spared as a, an act of grace by the victor. And so when Paul is saying, I'm, he's identifying with captives, he's saying, we're being led in triumphal procession. God's boasting in us all the time. Um, it's all about, it's all going back to who the victor is. And what happens, like our, our fate, so to speak, like what happens to us is in the hands of the one who has conquered us. It says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. And I, I notice the word always is not just casually thrown in there. You and I are, are led throughout life, and every, everywhere we go, all the time, God is, is boasting in us. Isn't that, isn't that a weird thought? To think that God is just, he's just proud of you? Like he's proud of what he's done in your life? Enough to just like hold you out there and just boast all the time. It's like, yeah, but what about when I what about when I do this or when I go here or when I'm having one of these kind of days or whatever? It's, it's, this says always. I mean, there's a there's a constant triumphal procession. That's what you, that's what your life looks like. What my life looks like, just constant. And then it says, um, and through us spreads the fragrance. Of the knowledge of Him, everywhere. Okay, break that down a little bit. Uh, and through us, okay. So th- literally, like through our lives. Um, I mean, like He's the one that does it. Doesn't say, um, and we spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge. No, it's it's through us. Like we're we're being used by Him to accomplish something. So through your life. Uh, he spreads uh, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Okay, what is the fragrance of the knowledge of him? What does that mean? Um, when I think fragrance, I, one I think like you know a smell that you associate with something. Like I was talking about the the crawfish or the bourbon or whatever. Um, but more more than that, like you don't you don't contain a fragrance. You know, I was thinking about uh, the old like Pepe Le Pew. Uh, cartoon, you know, and like his like fragrance do like this, you know, it kind of float around, and you, but you could see it, and of course you're a kid, or you're an adult, you know, and you're like, oh, there it is, oh, she's about to smell it, oh, you know, and then she falls in love with him, or whatever. But that's not how fragrances really work, right? I mean, you just, you don't see one coming, sometimes you wish you could, but I mean, you just like, <laughs> you know, you, you don't see it coming, you don't contain it. So if you th- if you think about 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 your life in this way, he's spreading everywhere that you go um, what it's like to know him. Everywhere you go, he's spreading what it's like to know him. Through you, he spreads the fragrance of knowledge of him everywhere. Okay, so that's that's life for us. Being led in like just a constant, constantly God boasting in His victory over us and spreading 
that fragrance of what that is like, what that reality is like, to every, everywhere that you go, everyone that you come in contact with, literally everything that happens. Verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Okay? The aroma of Christ. Um, these, the words aroma and fragrance are the same words that are used to talk about uh, sacrifices and offerings in the Old Testament. And so this is very much connected to what Jesus did on the cross. So the aroma of Christ would be like the, the fragrant offering of his willingness to die on the cross for the glory of God and for our redemption. So our lives are just basically just constantly um, reflecting that, like constantly giving off that same aroma to God. So constant, it's like a constant reminder that is like rising to honor the Lord of what Christ has done. Every minute of every day of your life as a Christian is God boasting in what He's done, and through that boasting, this fragrance, you know, in, a, in the spiritual world, literally rises to Him to honor Him, to to say glory to you. Thanks be to you, um, always, always, always. When God looks at us, He looks at you, no matter how rebellious you feel or how dumb you are sometimes, how incredibly dumb I am sometimes, to God, we are a reminder of what Jesus has done. It says, to um, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, okay? Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Okay, so basically, among everybody. To Christians, we are uh, that aroma. We are um, reminders of what God has done and encouragement of what He has done. To those who are perishing, we're bringing truth to them. Nabeen and Matilda are bringing truth to these kids. Nabeen is going down into this train station like where all this, this evil and sin and all these horrible things are going on, and he's bringing the aroma of Christ into this place full of people who are perishing. He says, God has called me to go here and to do this. Um, he is leading, the, the mean didn't say this, but this is basically what he's saying. Um, God is, my triumphal procession means going down to this train station, being the aroma of Christ among these who are being saved, hopefully, but more likely those who are perishing. That's where his procession leads him. For our church, we scatter out uh, every week, and we go um, after church. Some people go home. Some people um, go eat different places, whatever. People go to work. People go to school. People you know, take care of their kids. People do all these things. That's the triumphal procession where God leads you consistently. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Verse 16, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Okay? Um, that fragrance, that's basically the gospel that's going out. For those who, who smell the gospel in that, to stick with it, who smell it and reject it, it's death. So those who smell it and embrace it, it's life. Now, the technicalities of how all that works, I don't understand or even pretend to know all the time how much free will and God's sovereignty and all that kind of stuff. I believe all those things work together, and I believe ultimately it's not my job at the end of the day to save anybody. Um, 
I can't do it, you can't do it. My job is to be led in triumphal procession every day. That is what our church covenants together to do. If you come to one of our membership classes, most of what we do is we walk through this membership covenant, and that's basically what we're saying, is that we're going to let God lead us in triumphal procession wherever He wants. And our desire is to be faithful in that. We want to be the aroma of Christ, whether it's encouraging those who are already saved or whether it is bringing those who are perishing to a saving knowledge of Jesus. It doesn't matter. Everybody's going to respond to it as we go. Our job is to be faithful and to be led. His job is to take care of everything else. And to be honest with you, I'm glad that he that's his job, and I just need to work on me doing my job. And he says, who is sufficient for these things? You know, like, okay, who is uh, competent for um, being the aroma of Christ? Like, literally, like, letting that play out in real life. Like, who's, who's sufficient for that? And the implication is nobody. Nobody in their own strength is up for it. Good. You know, we have to be there. Who's sufficient to step into this deal for India? Not us. Not the church over there, not Debine, not, not Matilda. Nobody can do that. Jesus can do that through us. And that's the faith with which we step into it. The next part. For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. Okay, There were people who were, see this sounds familiar, uh, preaching a watered down gospel um, because that's kind of what people wanted to hear and they were getting rich off of it. Sound familiar? Yeah. Um. Look at this, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Okay, You want to know what being led in triumphal procession looks like in a practical sense? Right there. Um, men of sincerity, Okay, there's an integrity with, that we walk in, that we live in. Like we're not trying to pull one over on you, we're not, you're not a project. These kids over there, they're not a project. Nabina and Matilda are not a project. Nothing about that is a project. Nothing in Mexico is a project. Um, Breakfast on the Levee is not a project. No, people are not projects. People are people. So we're men of sincerity who are being honest, walking in integrity, as commissioned by God, believing wholeheartedly that, that God has called you to do these things. That's why the elders took weeks and weeks and weeks to pray about it, talk about it. And that's why we even tried to keep it quiet. Because as soon as you start talking about it, like everything, you get really excited and your emotions get caught up in it. And you're like, I, okay, sometimes our emotions, all right, don't really tell us a whole lot about what God is telling us. So the only way for us to like differentiate between those two is like, let's contain this and pray it through before we, before we go to the next step. So we really wanted to believe that we are commissioned by God to do this. Well, guess what? You are commissioned by God to go to school, college students, high school students, middle school students. You're commissioned by God to go to work. You're commissioned by God to raise your kids. You're commissioned by God to be a stay-at-home mom. I and mean, whatever it is, like believing sincerely that God has called you to do that, and you own it. I mean, it's not random. Own it. Commissioned by God. In the sight of God, okay, there's accountability that's brought in there. You've been commissioned by your general, not to be a captive that is going to perish, but you've been chosen by your general uh, and the victor to be one of the captives who's, who's saved, and you've been commissioned and sent, and he's watching, 
and he's a part of it. He's not mad. He's not ready to crush you if you mess up. He's involved. He's there. Last part, we speak in Christ. I know a lot of people like, you know, the the quote that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, you know, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. All right, Jesus was not a mime. He didn't act out the gospel and hope people got it. He spoke. There were actions, but he spoke. He told people the truth. We speak in Christ. So if you want to know what being led in triumphal procession looks like in a practical sense, look at that, at that last sentence. You're sincere. There's, there's integrity. You've been commissioned by God. God is watching and is a part of, of all this and is involved in it. And you just speak in Christ. You speak in, with the confidence that you do not have in and of yourself. But you speak boldly because you know your words are not yours. That's how Nabeen can go down to that train station and minister. That's why we are stepping into that and saying amen to that. And saying we want to join in. We feel like God has commissioned us and sent us in all sincerity and all honesty. We want to go. We want to speak truth. We want to equip you and pray for you as you go and speak truth. And the same thing applies to you wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever your triumphal procession leads you. You're going into places with people who are hurting and full of pain and sin and evilness and all these things that are going on, and God sends you in there to smell like Jesus. Sends me in there to smell like Jesus. And that's what that's what our church does. That's what the church does. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. I hope that you're encouraged. I hope you push forward. Let's uh, let's pray. Father, again, I mean, who is sufficient for such things? Who's competent enough to to take your gospel um, into our workplaces? Maybe our workplaces and our neighborhoods and stuff. Maybe they're not filled with that that kind of pain and evil and whatever. Like Robert said a few weeks ago, maybe maybe our darkness here is that people think that they're okay. People think that they're following Christ. People think that they're saved, and they're really not. The things we're up against here are different than in Kolkata, and they're different than in Monclova. But the solution is the same. God, I pray that you will use these truths about about who we are and, and how you want to use us, you desire to use us, and how you see us. I pray you'll use that to make some things come alive in us. God, that our desire would just, we would just surrender and say, lead me in triumphal procession wherever it is you want to take me. And I will go. And we have your eyes, your ears, your heart for our world. We love you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up. We're going to sing a little.